Howdy, this is Ben Crockett with 451 Now. And we're joined by such an uh, exciting guest today, Dennis Prager. He's the author of more books than I can count. He's a uh, radio talk show host. He's with Prager U. Uh, the list of things that he has done in his life could go on and on and fill the entire podcast. So I, I won't bore you with all of the incredibly interesting details. Um, but Dennis, it's great to have you on. Thank you, Ben. It's, it's very, very good to be with you. Uh, you know, Mr. Prager, you've spoken at, at campuses uh, across the country, and you've met a great uh, many young people. And I was reflecting on the famous work um, by Borges, Borges Yo. It's about the public person and the private person. And I was, I was wondering, when people come up to you after your speeches, because they've seen you so much online and they've heard you so much on the radio, they speak to you, I'm sure, as, almost as if they know you. Um, what's the difference between the public Dennis Prager and the private person Dennis Prager? None. And uh, th that's what uh, actually, uh, from my, the feedback that I have gotten uh, from people who work with me, they all say, you know, people ask me, what, what is Dennis really like? And, and I said, I give them, and they say, I have a pretty boring answer. There's no difference. Exactly what you see is what you get. So uh, it's not a fascinating answer, but I don't know how to act. I only, I only know how to be real. And I'm real on the radio. I'm real on uh, podcasts. And I'm real uh, in real life. Uh, my, um, uh, the best description of me was given by a caller to my radio show about a year ago, we said, Dennis, I, the best description of you is transparent. And I thought that's exactly right. I thank you. That is correct. So interestingly, uh, at a fundraiser for PragerU uh, in the Michigan, in Grand Rapids, uh, sometime this past year, I mentioned that story. And then my son, who spoke, uh, after me, he, he is a major fundraiser for PragerU. He's very, very talented. And uh, he got up and he said, well, you have no idea what a challenge it was being raised by a trans parent. <laughs> I thought that was one of the great lines <laughs> I have ever heard. <laughs> He's very funny, my son, and uh, that cracked me up. But I am transparent, and uh, this is it. Uh, I, I have very corny concerns. Goodness uh, is number one. I, and so I, I, my theology is God wants people to be good. I, in fact, my theology is God doesn't care about your theology. He only cares about your good behavior, which uh, is not something shared by everybody. And uh, the rest is commentary. Be good, follow the Ten Commandments, and you won't need police forces. You want to defund the police? Have everybody follow the Ten Commandments. That's, uh, that's absolutely right. And that's kind of a, a segue into my next question, because it, it's going to ask you to sort of, you know, uh, check the temperature of the nation. In preparation for this interview, I read one of your books, um, still the best hope why the world needs American values to triumph. And you wrote that, you know, I want to say nearly a decade ago. And, and so my question is, do you think that as a country, we're moving 
more towards those American values, that American Trinity that you speak of, you know, is our, our, is our temperature getting better or, or do you think we are going away from that more and more and the left is winning? What do you think? Of course, the left is winning. The left was winning when I wrote it. The left has been winning all of my lifetime. <laughs> so I wrote the book. The, uh, I'm glad you mentioned the book. Uh, I am... I'm always hesitant, as any author would be, about extolling the virtues of their own book, but I'll, I'll live with the consequences. A, a young woman at Harvard wrote me uh, about a year and a half ago, out of nowhere, that reading that book changed her from a uh, liberal to a conservative, that book alone. Then she, then she started watching PragerU videos and, and other stuff that I and others do, and that consolidated the, the transformation. But it was the book which she has almost committed to memory. If you want to understand the left, read my book. If you want to understand America, read the book. Most American conservatives cannot explain what America stands for. And I'm not blaming them. I couldn't either. It, it took me uh, half my life and, and it all happened one night, taking coins out of my pocket. And I saw the American Trinity, e pluribus unum in God we trust and liberty. And I thought, yeah, that's, that's the American value system. And their left hates all three. It's a battle between America and the left. The left is winning, obviously. But the book is, this book is an antidote, still the best hope. It, it's all there. I, I wouldn't change a word if I rewrote it today. There would be no, all that would happen if I, if I wrote a later edition is give you more examples of, of the left's destruction. And I remind people constantly, almost every day on the radio, that uh, everything the left touches, it destroys. Music, art, religion, police, politics, colleges, elementary schools, high school. The left is a force of destruction. Liberals are not leftists but liberals vote for leftists. So the great challenge is to, to explain to the liberal that the left is his enemy, not the right. But it is almost impossible to do so. They've been brainwashed and most liberals are not courageous. It, they would lose their friends, they would lose even members of their family if they came to the conclusion that the right was not their enemy, the left was. So they stay where they are and watch their cities ruined by the left. How does a liberal vote left in, in Oregon? How? You're, you're okay with the staggering increase in murder thanks to your city council in Portland voting to defund the police? You're okay with that? Well, if you are, then, then you are a leftist. You're not a liberal. But you're probably not okay with it, but you won't do a damn thing about it. So anyway, that's the rule. Whatever the left touches, it destroys and the left and the liberals vote for them. You know, when I think about why you shouldn't be a leftist, the first thing that pops in my head is that quote by G.K. Chesterton. Uh, I'm a big G.K. Chesterton fan. It's don't be so open minded as to have your brain fall out. Yeah, G.K. Chesterton is uh, filled with fantastic uh, 
Another one of his great ones is uh, when people stop believing in God, they don't believe in nothing. Hmm. They believe in anything. I think you uh, use that quote in uh, your book, Still the, the Last Best Hope. That's right. You uh, established this, this six-part um, process for how the um, uh, left creates hysteria and fabricates uh, um, crises. And, you know, I think my question is, could you name some of the fabrications that have come up in the past seven years since you uh, wrote the book, seven, eight years since you wrote the book? Well, the, the, the biggest is that uh, America is a, uh, is a systemically racist society. I, I call that, in a number of my columns, the greatest libel, national libel since the blood libel in the Middle Ages. The blood libel was against the Jews that they would kill Christian babies and, and slaughter them to use their blood to bake matzah for Passover. And that's the special Passover unleavened bread. So that was the greatest national lie in history. America is systemically racist, I think, is the second uh, greatest uh, national lie uh, in history. So we, we, we bathe in these lies. You know, uh, I collect uh, hoaxes. The, uh, in other words, it is overwhelmingly likely that if you read about a swastika on a, on a college dorm room or the N-word painted on a college dorm or a, a noose found on a campus, it is overwhelmingly likely a black did it. And it, it is, the, the point I always make is the ubiquity of the hoaxes is a proof is proof as to how little racism there is. Did Jews make up hoaxes in Nazi Germany? <laughs> Think about it. Was there one anti-Semitic hoax? Of course not. You didn't have to make up hoaxes of anti-Semitism because there was such real stuff. There's no real stuff like that in the United States. It's so rare, you've got to make it up. That's the reason for the hoaxes. Or how about this? Three million blacks have come to the country from Africa and the Caribbean, most two, two million from Africa, a million from the Caribbean. Why would they move to a country that's systemically racist? Are they stupid? Ask a liberal or a leftist that question. Are blacks moving to America stupid? Did any Jews move to Germany in the 1930s? It was, it was awful in East Europe for Jews. Why didn't they move to Germany? Because it was awful. We, we live in the age of spectacular lies, the Goebbels lies of the left. And they're so repeated by the New York Times, Washington Post, and CNN, and the universities and the high schools, and now elementary schools, that people are brainwashed into believing it. One of the most dis despairing uh, conclusions I, I've drawn the last year, a year and a half, is you don't need to live in a totalitarian state to brainwash people. You can brainwash people in a free society. And that, that's what we have now seen.
I think it's really easy for young people to look at what's going on in this country and say, not my circus, not my monkeys, to critique the problem, but not try to fix the problem. I was talking with a conservative friend of mine, and we were, we were talking about college and, and, and leftist professors and how we didn't know who a conservative professor was. And I, I looked at him and I, and I said, do you think there's anything we can do to solve this problem? And, and so I guess my, my question for you, Mr. Prager, is what are some things that young people can be doing uh, to, to fight back against the uh, torrent of, of leftist ideologies that we're all exposed to? Well, the, the answer is in your question. The answer is fight back. It's not easy. Let me, let me give you this girl from Harvard as an example. So she wrote me this letter that she changed because of still the best hope and Prager you eventually. So uh, as she lives in uh, Southern California, she attends Harvard, comes from Southern California where I live and my home station, I invited her on the radio show. So very dramatic story. Before she came on, I said to her, please know you're coming on my show will probably mean you will lose friends. You will be held in contempt at Harvard. And you may even uh, have some family abandon you. I, I need you to know that because I, I don't feel it's right for you to come on without knowing that in advance. So it was very touching. She said, may I call my mother? She, had a, she has a strong bond with her mother, which is lovely. So I said, of course. She came back in after the break and she said, I'm coming on. So she came on the show. And then a couple of months later, I asked her what happened. And she said, I, I had two weeks of hell. That's how she describes it. I lost friends that I had from elementary school going on your show. People uh, had held me in contempt on Twitter. I was smeared on Facebook. I lost uh, friends on Facebook. And then she said, I entered heaven. First of all, she said, the number of wonderful people who entered my life was unforeseeable. So she lost people who had contempt for her, but she won people who had admiration for her. And she said, this was very touching, she has never slept as well in her adult life. You can't sleep well if you deny who you are. You can sleep well if you are who you are. So I would say to every young person, come out of the closet. It will be two weeks, maybe two months of hell. But in the final analysis, kindred spirits will enter your life. You will be proud of yourself. You will sleep better. You will look in the mirror with admiration. It's only good coming out of the closet, but it is not easy. I fully acknowledge that. I love that story. Um, I have never stopped being a friend with someone because they are liberal or because they are leftist. But I do know of a few cases where someone found out that I was conservative and that they stopped 
being friends with me. And I'm not saying that's a, a universal across the board thing, but uh, oh, I think it, a lot it, of people- it's, it's close to universal. It's very close. A lot of people I think really resonate um, with that story. And, and then the second part is since I've started telling people that I'm conservative and Republican, I've met so many like-minded, like-minded individuals who now I think feel empowered to, to say the same thing, to be like, yeah, I, I believe those things too. I believe in American values too. And so when, when someone like her has the courage, you know, to say, hey, this is, this is what's happening. This is what I think. This is what I believe. It, it doesn't just change herself and make her life better, but it encourages other people, I think, to do the same thing, which is, which is incredible, which is incredible. Half of this country is in the closet. Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's a tragedy. One of the quotes that I, I really enjoyed from your book, it was describing um, uh, the leftist take on good and evil. And the quote is, good and evil are ultimately euphemisms for I like and I dislike. How do right. we get a belief in objective morals, a belief in God back into our, uh, our culture? Well, that's uh, the task of my other books. Um, most recent, yes, that, thank you, that's right. I'm writing a, a Bible commentary on the first five books of the Bible, the most important books of the Bible. Everything is predicated on the first five books. Creation, Garden of Eden, the Fall, the Ten Commandments, the Exodus, uh, every, everything is based on that. Every single law in the Bible is uh, in uh, is in in the first five books. I know biblical Hebrew, uh, at least uh, early biblical Hebrew, prophetic biblical Hebrew is is different and more complex. But I know early biblical Hebrew like English, and so that gives me a, a real uh, leg up on making the commentary. So I'm explaining all all of this using reason, not faith. It's called the rational Bible, and uh, that makes the case for the necessity and profundity of God. Uh, a lot of religious people argue for God's existence, and, and I, I commend them. But God's importance is, important, is more important than God's existence. And, and we have not made that clear. Religious people have not made that clear. They argue for God's existence but you could believe in God and it has no impact whatsoever on your life or your values, zero. So this is about the impact uh, uh, on, your, on your life. Uh, just one out of incredible number of examples. I hope I try to have an example in, in almost every verse. And that is Noah. Noah was saved by God when the world was evil. And it says Noah was a righteous man in his generations. It doesn't say Noah was a righteous man. And the great lesson there is you judge people in their generations, not in the later generations. That's what we should be doing with the slave owners, uh, slave owning founders of the country. They were great men in their generations. You don't judge them according to our standards. The whole world owned slaves, the whole world, black society, indigenous American society. Asian society, African society, they all own slaves. 
but none of them produced the free society where every race could live harmoniously like, like they did in America. These were giants, but as I often point out, moral midgets hate moral giants. You know, I, I want you to elaborate on um, that, that last part about people coming from all across the world to America, because I, I want you to explain the difference between multiculturalism and e pluribus unum. You can't, you can't have a functioning America without uh, e pluribus unum from many one. That's because this is not a, the only country in the world that's not ethnically based. Swedes are white, Ugandans are black, Japanese are Japanese ethnically, uh, but Americans, there is no such thing as an ethnic American. It doesn't exist. We were founded to be one from many. The, uh, the left wants us to be many from one so that you celebrate your ethnicity and your race. That's not American. It's not Judeo-Christian. It's actually primitive, literally primitive. The left is primitive, morally and intellectually. Wanting people to celebrate race is as racist and primitive as you can get. I don't give a damn what your color is. And if you give a damn what my color is, you are literally a racist. By definition, you're a racist. There is no racism in this country outside of the Ku Klux Klan that is comparable to left-wing racism. That's why they have left-wing dormitories, excuse me, black dormitories on campuses, black graduations. The only two groups to support black graduations are Columbia University and the Ku Klux Klan. What does that say about Columbia University? That it's become a cesspool. I went there, that's why I pick on it. Let's, uh, let's backtrack a second. Um, back to the religious question, back to the morality and God. Um, Mr. Prager, if you knew that there was no God, hypothetical, if you knew that there was no God, would you still think it beneficial to act as if there was one? It's a fantastic question, and the answer is absolutely yes. And I would have written the exact same uh, uh, commentary on the book. On the Bible. That is exactly right. Uh, I, uh, I made a choice at an early age to live as if there is a God. I do not know there is a God. There is no way to know. I believe there is a God. I choose to live as if there is one. It was the greatest choice I ever made in my life. I have, I have a community. I, ha I have a Bible. I have a, a way of seeing right and wrong. I have a Sabbath each week to, to give me a vacation from life. I mean, it, it's, it's infinitely better a life. Everything you see, the entire left is rooted in secular boredom. They need meaning in their vapid lives created by the death of Christianity. And they make up secular religions, environmentalism, and uh, feminism and Marxism, they're, they're all secular religions to fill the void that the post-Judeo-Christian world has left. 
in Europe, we got fascism, communism, and Nazism when Christianity died. Now you're seeing what we're getting in the U.S. with Christianity dying. It is not a pretty picture. I think it was Carl Jung who said, we don't have ideas, ideas have us. And when the Judeo-Christian values, the Judeo-Christian ideas vanish, other ideas invariably take, um, take their place. So I, I just have a couple of questions left for you. Um, but I, I, I want to, to ask, are you optimistic about the future of our country and about it still being the best hope for generations to come, or are you fundamentally pessimistic? I am against pessimism, and I am against optimism. I think they're both useless. They're both excuses not to fight. The optimist doesn't fight because he thinks things will turn out well. The pessimist doesn't fight because he thinks things will turn out lousy. So they both have a built-in reason not to fight. So I don't really care if you're an optimist or a pessimist. I care if you fight. The guys who uh, charged uh, Normandy Beach in, uh, on D-Day, were they optimistic? They were peeing in their pants when they went on Normandy Beach. P people don't pee in their pants when they're optimists. They did it because they had to. If you want to fight for freedom on Earth, not just in America, and for the United States, then you fight the left. Whether you're an optimist or pessimist is very interesting to you and of no interest to me. So I am neither. I'm not being cute. I truly am neither. I have no idea what will happen in the future. All I care about is what I have to do now. I owe it to the world, to, the, to God, to Americans who died before me, to my grandchildren, and to you, and, and to me, to fight. That's all I know. I owe it. It is my deepest obligation. I got to live in the greatest country in the world through no credit of my own, and I will fight to keep it that way. Anyway, uh, my favorite uh, biblical verse, not well-known one, is those of you who love God must hate evil. So if you don't hate the left, you don't love God. Not liberals. Liberals are cowards, but they're not evil. They just put the evil in power. If you understand how evil the left is, just as if you understand how evil uh, fascists were and others, then you fight. But uh, they are, they are, they're truly evil. It's, it's, it's hard to believe that so many people buy so much evil and, are, and celebrate the destruction of people's lives. They found something in somebody's email from 20 years ago you lose your livelihood. Religious people don't act that way. They have a whole concept of redemption. There's no redemption on the left. It's just destruction. The, like, like Brett Kavanaugh. Look at what he might have done. McMahon has lived, had lived a, a, so beautiful a life, but he might have done something bad in high school. So let's ruin his life. What he has done for 35 years doesn't matter. This is foreign to all decency. They're indecent. You, 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 uh, you, you had COVID and you still have to get inoculated or you lose your, your job, you lose your ability to make a living. 
This is evil, man. This is all evil. Final question for you, Mr. Prager. You have written many books and no doubt you've read many more. So my question is, what books would you recommend and what books have changed and shaped you? Well, uh, there's no question that the first five books of the Bible were the biggest life shapers. That's why I'm writing my commentary, The Rational Bible. And if people read the reviews of it, and, and, and I want to just say, nobody writes a Bible commentary to get rich. So I, I don't have... Uh, <laughs> I don't have much self-consciousness about uh, recommending it strongly, but if people will read the reviews, there are thousands of them, they'll see they change people's lives, the rational Bible. That's the best stuff. That's the, all, that's the roots of everything. After that, the, the book uh, by Viktor Frankl, Man's Search for Meaning, deeply affected me. He explained that... Uh, Marx said that the human species was animated by economic interest and Freud by sexual drives. And his belief was we're animated by the search for meaning. And I agree with Frankel. The search for meaning is even greater a need than sex. There are people who don't have sex and have a happy life. They, if they have meaning. But no matter how much sex you have, if you don't have meaning, you can't be happy. Meaning is everything. And that book uh, makes it clear. Also has my favorite line of all in life. He was a Jew, Viktor Frankl, a psychoanalyst who lost his family in the concentration camps. Nazis murdered his family. Afterwards, he was asked, it's in the book, do you hate the German race? And he said, no, there are only two races, the decent and the indecent. That is exactly my belief. There are only two races, the decent and the indecent. Intellectually, I couldn't be further apart from Friedrich Nietzsche, but I have to say I admire his quote, he who knows his why can bear almost any how. Dennis Prager, thank you so much for your time today. You, uh, you are a reason for optimism. So there, how do you like that?